And welcome to the latest uh, uh, Bangers and Classics podcast uh, with me, James Ruppert, and him, uh, David uh, Malloy. I'm the one who goes er a lot, and uh, David tells you important things in his wonderful accent. Um, how are things keeping? Things are very good today, James. I had a very nice delivery from the postman today with two of your books, so thank you very much for that. Goodness me. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the Bangerpedia and yep. the wonderfully titled, and I'm sure wonderful to read, so I'm looking forward to it, Spencer Hayes. Right, okay. Well, I, th- I thought it was a bit of fun. There was there was um, uh, quite a big muck up on my part where I think I said, have you have you got the book? And you went, no, I haven't got a book. And I felt really bad. And then I ran out of books anyway so you've had to wait far far longer than most people because most people have read it and trashed it by now but uh, uh, you've got that pleasure to come but you have actually got the actual bonus of uh, Spencer Hayes because uh, in between I managed to get that sort, sorted out and uh, uh, I thought you at the very least deserve that as we've been having loads of conversations about superheroes and 1970s and that's pretty much what that's all about but again thank you for the opportunity to plug that even though it's a very selfish book I don't know whether there's very much in it for people but it was just one of those things I had to uh, sort of get out of my system and get onto a shelf. Which means it will be good. Usually, <laughs> I don't know about usually, that. It's usually how it works. Anyway, James, it's becoming customary in Bangers and Classics to start every episode by going back to an early episode, and that's usually because, let's be honest, I've messed up. And we're going to have to do it again this week, but for a different reason. And I'd like to take you back to the sad but true story of the Austin Allegro that was driven into a parked earth mover in one of the most stupid accidents you could imagine. In fact, I didn't think there could be a more stupid accident than it. Well, I think I may have been wrong about that. You might remember that back in the early 90s, the BBC ran a series called From A to B, Tales of Modern Motoring. And there were five episodes in this. They're all available on YouTube, and please, listeners, search them out they are absolutely worth watching but there was one in particular i want to direct you to and that's the first episode it's called it gets you out of the house uh, please again watch the entire episode but the section i'm talking about begins at 22 minutes and 38 seconds in and if you go there you'll get an account of a spectacularly daft accent no one was injured otherwise it would not be funny but since nobody was injured we can have a chuckle about it and I have to say that time hasn't withered its impact on the funny bone, though, again, it's hard not to feel sorry for the lad who wrecked his pride and joy. Do you remember those programmes, James? I do, and uh, I'm very annoyed with you for sending me that link because, uh, yes, I, what I had to do, I had to I had to watch the whole thing. I, I had to go backwards, I had to go forward, because, you know, you started me in the middle and I thought, well, I can't stop there. But, no, this was a sensational programme, and I'm sure uh, anyone who enjoys cars remembers seeing it back then. Um, it was the, the sort of programme that the BBC don't make anymore. It was cult- cultural history. It was, it was done, I, I don't think, in a... Uh, particularly nasty way. I, I, I don't think I'd like to think they weren't laughing at car enthusiasts. I think they were just displaying them for what for you know for people who enjoyed having their cars and how they felt about them. Really, uh, I, I don't I don't think it was particularly judgmental. Uh, but as you say, it, it is a very funny story, um, even though for the poor chap it wasn't funny at all. But uh, the circumstances of, of it all is greatly amusing. But um, yeah, it's a fabulous program and a fabulous series. And uh, yeah, anyone listening to this. Um, probably saw it originally, but they should go and see it again because it is just fabulous filmmaking. It is, yeah. I mean, the great thing about it is there's no talking heads, so we don't get self-appointed social commentators, vapid TV presenters, and other human detritus ruining the flow of the show. All you get, the people themselves, 
okay, that's carefully and selectively edited versions of those people, but it's the people themselves and it's their words and it's all the better for it. To, to me, to be honest, it seems like um, a forgotten lesson in how to make reality TV and it is very, very funny. There's one episode, James, you, you, know, you will have seen, obviously. That's the one called Over the Moon with the Cavalier about 1990s sales reps in their cars. Any comments on that? Well, no. Well, again, I mean, yes. I mean, in the episode that um, I watched as well, um, there was reference to model de- designations. It was very important to people, wasn't it? Whether you know mm. whether, you, whether you had a, you know a GL or a G- GLS, um, you know, it, it made all the difference in the company car car park. And I think that was something that people completely understood much more than they do today. I think people just expect everything to be on the car and don't really care. But um, it, it is just, you know, a, a marvellous snapshot of a particular time, um, uh, you know, in, in, in cultural motoring history. Absolutely. And of course, you've got the cars. There's lots of lovely 80s and 90s metal in show. And I mean, we're not even talking necessarily about stereotypical wet mobiles or some other cars you see shots of that just look fantastic, that have just about disappeared from today's roads. And the other thing is, you get variety. Um, nowadays, it's wall-to-wall SUVs. Back then, okay, you had three main car types, saloon, estate, and hatchback. Obviously, you had roadsters and coupes as well, but the main, three main ones, um, well, you know, the saloon, the hatchback, and the estate. But even within those categories, there was a vast amount of you know, diversity and difference. You wouldn't mistake a Cavalier for a Sierra, or an Astra for an Escort. And it's just lovely to look back in those days. And also you see things like Little Chef, sadly now long gone. Absolutely. And uh, oddly enough, I think they did sort of predict because there was a uh, a movement, uh, there, was a, there was a great enthusiasm for the Suzuki Vitara. So that was, you know, that was in some ways maybe the beginnings um, of the SUV craze um, because uh, my sister had one around that time. And I, I think I remember saying unfortunate things to her about it, which I've never fully apologised for. But uh, I think, but I think the programme did predict that. And uh, obviously, there was, uh, you know, people with the rhinos on the uh, spare wheel and stuff like that. So, it, it, in many ways, it was a very sort of prescient film. But you are completely right; it, it shows how to make you know, a TV show that you can enjoy. Uh, that you, as you say, there's no, you know, celebrity spoiling the party or some expert like us chiming in and saying, well, this means that and that means. This this because just let the people speak for themselves and uh, yeah that's why it's so wonderful indeed i suppose in the case of you and I, at least we actually like cars are interested in them and like you know people who comment on some of these programs they just um pop up and come out with inane comments they think what's the point what's the purpose anyway that's that's by the by the main thing about this program is it's available on youtube it doesn't matter if you were around in the 90s or not because either way it's got a great deal to offer and we thoroughly recommend that you watch this, you honestly, your life will be enriched for the experience. You're listening to the Bangers and Classics podcast with James Ruppert and David Malloy. So, James, another thing that we were asked to, to look at on Bangers and Classics was giving some buyer's advice, and perhaps we could give some general advice about buying a classic car, because it's a time of year when people are looking to get their classics onto the road. And indeed, yesterday I was out driving, and I saw a lovely tartan red MGB uh, going through the Ayrshire countryside, and I must say it looked splendid. Um, didn't make me want to buy an MGB, but you know it did make me want to get out uh, and do something on the road. And with that in mind, obviously, let's have a look at perhaps buying a classic. Um, I would say there's a couple of practical things you would always look at and you always should look at. Uh, I'm tall. Uh, I can't literally physically fit in every car um, because of my height. So f- first thing is, 
you know, if you're thinking of buying a classic or indeed any car, how are you going to fit in it? Can you actually drive it in comfort? And obviously it follows on from that as well. If you're buying one and you're going to put it in a garage, is it going to fit in your garage? Is your garage physically big enough? Those are overlooked things, but they're both very important things. I mean, for example, um, Lotus Esprit. Uh, I've always wanted Lotus Esprit, but I'm too tall. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who lives uh, several hundred miles away, and I won't mention his name, bought one, and he's the same size as me. And I said, I met him at a car show a couple of years ago, and I said, how's the Esprit going? Oh, great. I said, yeah, how, how do you manage with that? You're the same size as me. How do you? He said, oh, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I've, you know, I managed to get into it. I can drive it okay. It's not a problem. And I thought no more of it until I was chatting to somebody else who let it slip that this, uh, this Esprit owner had, hadn't quite been telling the whole story. Uh, what he'd done to fit in it was put a removable steering wheel in. But fair enough, you might think. Second thing he did was also logical. He took the spaces and the seats out, so it's bolted to the floor. But the third one is the clincher. He has to drive it with the sunroof out because his head sticks out of the roof. So it's absolutely no use. But <clears throat> these are things you've got to think about before you even waste time and money You know, going to look at a car and finding out the hard way it's just not for you. I mean, what, any tips you'd give, James? Uh, yeah, I think you make some very good points. I mean, you can actually hire uh, classic cars, and that is probably uh, one shortcut, um, uh, allowing for the fact that yours is sort of common enough to be stocked by someone to be driven. Uh, but certainly, if you could do a you know a day's hire or a weekend's hire, uh, that might you might even think, yeah, I wonder what all the fuss was about, or you might go, yeah, this is the car for me. So you know, or if you know somebody, or uh, again, you've got to make contact with owners' clubs. I know owners' clubs can be a bit mm. of a pain sometimes, um, but uh, people are always free with a, you know advice. They will always give you lots of advice, and that's probably one of the best uh, places to start. Um, and it might be a good place to actually buy a vehicle because it might be well known in the club and it might have been very well looked after. So that's uh, uh, another way of doing it, um, you know, g- going via the uh, experts and the enthusiast experts as well. Uh, there is a lot of luck involved in buying any car. It doesn't matter whether you're buying a banger, whether you're buying a classic. Uh, there is always uh, the chance that, you know, something could go wrong the next day after you've bought it. You can do all sorts of checks and, you know, uh, still the gasket's gone or there's some sort of problem. Uh, what you're doing is you're trying to reduce the um, uh, chances of that happening. The problem that you, ha- that you have with a classic car in particular is it's not just um, a vehicle um, which you're buying, um, you know, to get to work in, you know, it isn't a practical vehicle. It's it's something that, that you love. And if you've had your heart set on a vehicle uh, that's a classic and it's the right color and uh, you, you might think it's your only chance to buy it, you're going to overlook all sorts of things. Uh, probably the best thing you can do then is take uh, the other half or someone who is very disinterested in cars, actually, because they will point out things that you would overlook. So if you can take a tame person with you um, who isn't just going to go along and toe the line, uh, might actually confront you about things, uh, they they might um, remove your rose-tinted glasses uh, for a bit um, so, you, so that you see things that you otherwise would not see. Because most of the people I know who've bought classic cars, it's it's really because it's what they've always promised themselves. That, you know, it's uh, it, it very it's quite rarely um, something that they've looked into hugely. It's just like I want that car. You know, I've, I've wanted it since I was ten, so I'm going to go and get one. Um, so 
yeah, it's um, it's basically having some sort of reality check or someone who can provide a reality check for you, which I think is probably the best way of doing it. Um, and driving the car. Uh, sounds extremely basic, but uh, you can go, um, you know, to buyers and you can go to dealers and they would go, they might say, no, you can't, or you have to have insurance or you have to prove this, you have to prove that. So you've got to establish all of those things that you can actually drive the car um, and drive it for a decent amount of time and hear it running. And there's all the old things of it, if it's all warmed up before before you get there, you can guarantee that, you know, it uh, could be a pig to start. Um, so, and it's also just taking your time um, and also just bearing in mind there there are um, probably another, you know, there's another 30 like it uh, spread around the country. So you so you have to do your your research. Um, that may not apply in some cases, but uh, yeah, it, it is. It's just it's just trying not to fall in love. And uh, that's a very difficult thing not to do when you're going to see the car that you always dreamt of buying. Absolutely. I mean, other things you want to look at. Oh, it's all good advice, James, and some other stuff too. Parts availability. Um, you know, are you going to find parts difficult to get? Are there specific parts that are very difficult to get? For example, Lotus Elan M100 um, rear lights, uh, just about an obtainium. You can buy them secondhand. They'll cost you about £400 a side. Yeah. Uh, it's the same lights, same lights uh, as you use on the Renault Alpine GTA and GTA V6 Turbo. Um, but the owners of those have got exactly the same problem. Also, you want to look out for, for common problems. You know, what should you be looking for when you go to see a car? Um, other things, each, do an HPI check, check the VIN number. Um, and you want to make sure, in particular, is the car what it purports to be? I mean, is it a standard model masquerading as you know, a desirable special edition? Some unscrupulous people might do that. It could be the seller doesn't even know that's happened. They bought it in good faith, you know, good faith thinking it's a, a super-duper edition that's worth a bit more, and it turns out to be a standard edition that someone's uh, you know, giving a little blow over. MOT history, you can check that online. Do that. It'll show up things that are important. You can also check the mileage progression on it. You know, If the mileage has gone backwards between MOTs, then that should set a couple of alarm bells ringing. There might be reasons for it, but still uh, check it out. Look for things like water ingress from Mayo um, in the oil filler cap. If you see that, that's a, a sign of head gasket failure, and you should be thinking at that point of walking away or getting a proper check done. You know, things like you know, the gear synchromeshes. And as you said, James, you know, make sure that it's cold when you go to see it and you start it. Because if it's um, if it's warm when you start driving it, then there's a reason why the seller's done that usually. Unless they've just brought it to you and you know it's literally been a journey, they stopped, it's not a time to cool down. That's one thing. But if you go into a garage or whatever and the car's already been warmed up, ask yourself why that is. Uh, if you are test driving a car, then you'll make sure you get it long enough. You drive it long enough to get the engine up to temperature. And importantly, you know, look at the underside. Check the suspension. I was looking at a form recently, and a chap bought a car uh, not so long ago. Uh, looks a nice car. He was very pleased with it, but he didn't check the state of the suspension. And he's now going to find himself with a bill of probably about £2,000 to replace you know, the wishbones at the front and rear. Uh, just due to corrosion. Um, I'm sure he doesn't want that because he probably paid market value for the car. And now he's, within a year or so, he's having to fork out uh, a considerable amount of money. But he has to do it because it's it's for safety reasons. So there's lots of things to check out. And, you know, you should always do that. Uh, One final point. If you do buy a car uh, from a trader, 
don't forget, you are protected to some degree by the Consumer Protection Act. Now, I'm not going to go into that here. It's far too big a subject. Uh, but if you've got doubts about uh, a car that you've bought, if there's problems with it and the trader's not being responsive, then go and see the Citizens Advice Bureau or go and see a solicitor. Know your rights because ultimately it's your money. You've worked hard for it and you want to make sure that you're not being sold a pig in the poke. That's excellent. So there we go. That's, that that's pretty much some, that, yeah. Yeah, some, some general bangonomics and uh, bangonomic sidekick, which would be me, <laughs> advice on buying a classic car. Did you spot the non-deliberate mistake there? I referred to the Consumer Protection Act when I should in fact have referred to the Consumer Rights Act 2015. That's a piece of legislation that gives rights to consumers, that is, uh, private individuals who have purchased um, goods from traders. And it's something that you really should be aware of. And on that note, we'll go to a break here. Check out the Bangers and Classic podcast at www.bangersandclassics.com. So, James, one thing we're, one thing we're keen to do in Bangers and Classics is to get listeners involved uh, in the show. You know, send us your ideas. Uh, you'll see full credit for it, of course. If you've got any comments you wish to make, we'll be delighted to receive them. Uh, if the cheeky ones, address them to James. If the nice ones, send them to me. <laughs> um, one thing that we're thinking of was perhaps uh, maybe a sort of semi-regular feature, and again, perhaps not, is that you could, if you wish, suggest cars to James and I for us to debate whether or not they're a banger or a classic. And you know, that might be, a, it might slip a bit of a hornet's nest, but it might also be good fun. What do you reckon, James? No, I think that's uh, an awfully good idea because uh, we are the people who, who can make the final decision. Um, and that is irreversible as well. Um, so yes, um, if you'd like to start um, a furious online debate, um, we're happy to sort of uh, throw fuel onto the fire, I suppose, really. Um, uh, but we're not, yeah, we won't take any prisoners. We'll, you know, we'll we'll tell you what we think, um, and uh, we'll we'll issue a, a formal decree, and it will yes, it will be either a banger or a classic. <laughs> yeah. Yes, putting out fires with gasoline. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's a there's a song that's a lyric from David uh, Bowie, maybe David Bowie. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Anyway, mm. we're digressing again. I don't mm. know if he was into cars or not. But uh, another thing we're looking forward to: um, classic car shows or any kind of car shows. Um, coming back, anything James you'd particularly like to see from them, or is there anything the listeners would like to see them do this year, or indeed in the future? I, well, I don't know. I think I, I don't know whether you suggested it. It was uh, not to put so many ropes in the way of people taking pictures. Uh, really, so they're not roped off. Um, I'm quite lucky where I live. Um, although it didn't happen last year, is we uh, we raise money for our uh, village hall. So everyone who comes and uh, buys things, I actually have an ice cream van, although it's actually uh, a Land Rover Series 3 with uh, a freezer in the back. Uh, and all the proceeds go to the Beach Hall. But what happened a few years ago is uh, one of one of the uh, residents uh, was a member of uh, a vehicle club. Um, it was mainly military vehicles. And we had a, an absolutely massive turnout of, I mean, it is, it's, it is, you basically get tanks, you get motorbikes, you get um, uh, tractors, you get all sorts of classic cars. It's just phenomenal. So we get several thousand people um, and it's a very, very friendly, uh, approachable um, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Buses as well, strangely enough. 
Mm. Uh, but there's you know remarkable things turn up and that's the sort of thing that is it is possible to do on a very local basis and um i would encourage anyone to you know if you can uh, get permission to park on a field or you know park somewhere um it's worth maybe trying to put something together for yourself and you can do it for uh, a good cause um but I, I know there are all sorts of um implications for that insurance and risk assessments and all sorts of things but um if there's enough people involved um it turns out okay so i'm looking for hopefully we will be able to do that this year because uh, we missed doing it last year so um yeah so that's one i actually have a hands-on um otherwise a lot of other shows i'm not too i'm not too bothered about really um, but it's uh, but you do get an interesting mix of people, and I think it, I think it's the variety of cars. I don't particularly want to go to a field and see one type of car. I, I do prefer seeing uh, a mix. I don't know if you agree with me there. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, one of the things I'm quite keen on is seeing more modern classics uh, take part in shows. Um, cars from the '90s, for example, uh, a lot of those are now. Well, they exist in fewer numbers than many cars from, say, the 60s or the 70s. And it would be nice to see those get some recognition, get some interest in them to try and preserve those that still remain with us. Because, you know, these are cars that, especially for young, the younger generation, you know, fond memories for them is a car that maybe their mum or their dad had or, you know, they aspire to when they were a kid. It's something they had maybe in a bedroom wall thinking, ah, wouldn't mind that, you know, um, an Escort RS custom from the 80s, something along those lines. Sometimes you have shows cut things off in 1980 or sometimes 1990. And I think that's um, unfortunate. Yeah, I would agree that is actually a mistake because 1990s cars, as you say, are, are really becoming quite rare now. Um, even though I cause myself all sorts of problems by writing a bangerpedia about cars made from sort of 2000 on, onwards, I've started to look around car parks now uh, at 1990s cars and there's so there's actually very few of them about. It, it is quite re- remarkable, really. I'm, you know, I, I'm sure those dreadful scrappage schemes that we've discussed uh, took care of quite a few. Um, but uh, yes, we've got to also bear in mind that these cars are, you know, over thirty years old in some cases. You know, they are they are they are getting on, aren't they? You know, uh, you know, middle twenties to thirties. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, you know, they are succumbing to us. But we'll, what we must remember is that these are the last of the fixable cars, the truly fixable ones. So you do get a lot of modern stuff. You know, you, if you're worried about safety, you will get an airbag mm. and all sorts on it. But also, if you want to muck about with it, you will be able to do that. Um, uh, you know, I, when I speak to mechanics, uh, they really are getting a bit annoyed now with cars that they, they there's very little that they can do about, or they have a go, they do their very best, but they know that in components have to be replaced. You know, they can't just dive in, repair them, and bolt it back together again. Yeah, I mean, you do get the best of both worlds with these cars. Yeah, but many of them, you know, as we said, are really um close to extinction um one car i've spoken about before that i absolutely loved i had a 1916 valve hatch back in the day and i loved that car i would have another one trouble is finding one they're so thin on the ground uh, finding a good one is just about impossible so that's probably a pipe dream and the same can be said for many other equally fine cars from that period um so i'd like to see modern classics be given more of a place uh, at classic car shows but another thing is and i know this is difficult for organizers because of insurance and what have you, and health and safety. And obviously, these are paramount considerations. But cars are made to be driven. And if you can introduce some sort of mobile or moving element to car shows, I think that greatly enhances them. Um, one of the things, for example, uh, they used to do at the Dune Classic Car Show uh, back in the day was they had an auto test. Um, teams entered with various cars, to think everything from two CVs to 1960s Lotus Elans. It was great fun. And 
it was done, you know, the public were kept well away from it, done at fairly low speed as well, so there was really no danger of anyone sustaining injury, but it was a good spectacle, crowd participation, everybody got, everybody got behind a particular car, a particular team, and it really did enhance the day out. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, James. No, I think I think you've put together the sort of crucial elements that, um, as you say, would you know just make shows a tiny bit more interesting. There's nothing worse uh, than just you know just seeing people sitting in their you know garden furniture that they've unfolded uh, behind their car and eating and eating a picnic. I mean, some of them are very friendly and will talk to you and tell you stuff, but there's no sub- substitute, as you say, for seeing them moving. Uh, or seeing them doing something um, hmm. because uh, that's what they were meant, meant to do. And you say autocross, um, uh, or the auto tests, wasn't it? There, where you where, yeah. you where you go between uh, uh, cones um, is actually extremely skillful and uh, a lot of fun to watch. And yes, that would be a welcome distraction. You were saying about owners who sometimes sit behind the cars and have picnics. Well, that's fine. But I remember being at one car show in particular. I think it was a bunch of Ferrari owners. And what they did was they arranged the chairs in a circle inside the ring of cars with the chairs facing inwards. So they were sitting at a table talking to each other with their backs to everybody else. So anyone who wanted to go and talk about the cars, really, it was very difficult for them to do so. Uh, it just seemed terribly antisocial. And to defeat the purpose of actually wanting to be at a show, the whole idea of going to a show is if you've got a car to show it off, and but to enjoy chatting about it to other people. And if, you, if you're going there to just see cars, it's to find out about them, it's to chat with the owners and, you know, basically increase your knowledge and just increase your enjoyment of the hobby. Absolutely. And um, that's, that just seems counterproductive to you know, hide yourself away uh, from prying eyes or from interested parties. But but there we have it. I'm, I'm sure, you know, that's not the case at most shows. And certainly at most shows I've been to, that isn't the case. But um, I wouldn't like to think that it would become something of a habit. Well, I know, um, but I, I mean, we do actually have a show expert who will be listening to us, which is uh, which is Kenny, um, who, uh-huh. does, who does attend um, because he makes a point of attending, obviously, all the, all the shows which are near him. So he, he lives up north and quite rightly, he proves that, um, you know, anything that's down south, uh, they can uh, better uh, up north and or certainly be different. But um, he organises and obviously couldn't do it last year. Um, uh, you know, he takes pictures and uh, ask people to vote on sort of cars of the show and he gets a wonderful um, you know variety of cars and uh, he makes very funny comments uh, about them but but meant in a, in a nice loving way um, but he's always very observant of the uh, etiquette involved in uh, uh, sitting on a deck chair uh, and certainly you do you do see very bored spouses as well um, at those sort, sorts of shows so maybe uh, that can be we can we, we can have a play area for um, uh, spouses who who don't want to sit with their cars and go somewhere else maybe have a, oh, live music that some shows do that they do and they? i've been to a couple where the, i mean obviously silverstone classic is very good they have bands on i think on the friday and saturday night but i've been to smaller shows where they've had bands playing um usually in a marquee or something and it's great it adds to the atmosphere you, you know you, if you want to see the cars you go and see the cars well you want to hear some music you go and listen to music you can do a bit of both and the more attractions it's got, the wider the appeal it's got, I think the better, because as you say, you get bored spouses, you get maybe bored kids. If there's something for them to do, then everybody has a good time. And that's surely what it's all about. Absolutely. It's, it's, trying, to, it's trying to give somebody, it's trying to give something to everybody who goes there. Now, obviously, you know, if you're going, you know, you know, you know what you're going to see is cars, but obviously if you've got a family, then 
they might not be quite so keen as you. And if they can be catered to as well, then, as I say, that makes it good for everybody. And everybody's a good time. It's better for the show too, because then everybody will want to go back to it the following year, which keeps numbers up, which which brings revenue in. And obviously, as you say with your show, and indeed some others I could mention, um, money's raised for good causes, which is very important. It's, it's an excellent part of the classic car community. They do this quite a lot through likes of sporting bears and so on and so forth that um, owners go along, they raise money for charities in various ways and they're to be commended for it. It's a really, it can be a great hobby. It can be a very social hobby. It can be a very socially responsible hobby. Um, and I think car owners need to do more of that and be seen to be doing more of that to, to, you know, to counter some of the negativity about cars that we're, that we're confronted with nowadays. Well, that's right. That's all we seem to get. But yes, I mean, that sort of um, uh, vision that you've put together there, um, yeah, makes should make ev- everybody happy. Yeah, but it's always going to be one, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably me. Um, <laughs> I think we'll call that a day for this episode. Just like to say thank you very much for listening and goodbye from me. And uh, yes, it's a goodbye from me and uh, cheer everybody. See you next time. Indeed. Goodbye. <laughs>